I've got a quick question for you before we get started today. Were there any outstanding presentations at the last Master Brewers District meeting you attended? I bet there were. Well, we'd like to share those stories with listeners, but we need your help. Unless they attended that same district meeting, Master Brewers members, including me, will never know about these outstanding presentations unless they get uploaded to the Master Brewers District Presentations Archive. So next time you sit in on a really great presentation, ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. You can find me at community.mbaa.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. There's like one ingredient that... uh brewers are using less and less of and this is ingredients in a brewery which is uh you know a calendar this week on the show we get a glimpse at life inside a brewer's yeast supply lab you'll hear about tips for ordering yeast how to better align expectations with reality and of course when to blame the maltster hi my name is uh, jasper akerboom uh, and i'm with uh, jasper yeast hi my name is travis tedrow and i'm with jasper yeast what details would you like the customer to provide when they're placing an order? What we want to hear is basically as much as possible. Uh, you know, uh, what kind of beer uh, are they going to brew? Uh, what are their expectations? And then we like to hear more than just starting gravity, final gravity. Uh, but those obviously are very important, uh, you know, as well. Uh, you know, that is like, uh, because people have a certain expectation uh, and they think, uh, well, you know, not everybody, but, uh, you know, when people uh, pitch yeast, they would like to come in, like to the beer to become something they have in their, in their head. And since uh, brewing nowadays is a lot of different styles, a lot of one and dones, uh, so people don't really, you know, get have the time to get to know a specific strain very well. Uh, we need to kind of do that work for the brewer. A little bit and we gladly do that but then we need to know you know a lot of information how is their oxygenation uh, set up how much uh, lpms and uh, ppms are we talking about 
what's the temperature that they cast out at? You know, what do they set the tank at? How much time do they give it? Uh, this is uh, so basically as much as possible. All right. You just mentioned that many brewers are doing one and done batches, especially with all the hazy IPAs that are getting dry hopped during fermentation. Also, a lot of those beers tend to have pretty high starting gravities. What would you advise to a brewer that's decided to brew a big beer on that first fermentation cycle? I mean, <laughs> first we say uh, try and reconsider. <laughs> and if there, there's no other option, you know, we try to make it, um, you know, realistic and share the pitfalls of making that the goal. Um, one thing that I've always used with great success and that we share is uh, consider, you know, even when you're using a, a full size pitch for a gen one, if it's going to be a high gravity, think about timing another batch of beer, hopefully a, a you know, a lighter or nothing particularly heavily hopped that you can prop that up. You know, it's odd to think about propping a full size pitch, but if you're talking about a 18 plus Play-Doh um, you know, that, that only benefits you, whether it's shaving off time or, making that attenuation a reality what 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 you set out on your spreadsheet um making that actually possible yeah it's you know and uh, to to add to what travis is saying uh a lot of guys uh because they're one and done beers uh they are feeling the expense of the purchasing of the yeast you know and obviously we understand that and we want to help with that as well you know and then uh, you know, that's kind of uh, where we, that's why that story comes into play too. Okay, let's talk more about financial implications. You guys have said that liquid yeast is a better deal than purchasing bricks of dry yeast. Talk about that. So, <clears throat> when you think about uh, dry yeast, obviously, um, you know, the initial purchase might be cheaper. But, uh, you know, we advise against reusing a dry yeast pitch. Uh, there are there are advantages to using dry yeast, but they are more uh, on the side of uh, uh, it can handle uh, you know uh, like a, a storage that is like not as uh, not as cold as uh, what liquid yeast can handle. The the cells are in a worse state, but that state doesn't get worse as it is. And liquid yeast can obviously, if you leave that out, you know, at room temperature for for two days, that's going to be very very bad. Uh, but the great thing with liquid yeast is that you can, uh, if you if you plan your batch as well, you stress uh, cleanliness and and general yeast health uh, in your brewery that you can reuse this pitch several times. And if by doing so, you can kind of smear out the cost of this liquid pitch over all these batches, and it's going to be much much cheaper. Uh, you get to know this strain much better. And uh, it's it's just in better shape, you know. The cells are in better shape when you when you when you use liquid yeast. There's there's just no, that's there's no doubt about it. And one thing uh, I wanted to add to what Jasper just mentioned is, uh, you uh, you asked what's the difference in customers and working with brewers, you know, today as opposed to maybe a few years ago. Personally, when I started brewing and, and started learning about yeast and how to operate it. You know, you, you used Gen 1 yeast so that you could get to Gen 2, 3, and 4. That, that was the sweet spot. That was the goal is to, you know, if, if Gen 1, for whatever reason, was a little slower, you know, ultimately it's, um, you know, in some person's eyes, a slightly smaller pitch than what you might 
normally pitch later generations, you were trying to, in some sense, use that first gen to have a successful batch so that you could get to gen two, three, four, and beyond with fantastic harvests, as much yeast as you wanted. And now with people using yeast for just one generation, there's there's no experience with the benefits of spreading the yeast out. You not only save, but you're also getting faster fermentation times. You know, you really, there's numerous benefits outside of, um, you know, deferring the cost over n- numerous batches. There's just much more successful fermentations with those later generations with, you know, properly maintained yeast. Yeah. And there's kind of, uh, there's like one ingredient that uh, that I feel, that we both feel, that uh, brewers are using less and less of. And this is ingredient in a brewery, which is, uh, you know, a calendar. Sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> but uh, you need to plan, you need to plan well. If you plan well, then you can do these kind of things. And it's obviously the market puts enormous, tremendous pressure on breweries nowadays to you know innovate come up with different beers very quickly but uh yeah that that old old school planning ahead of time thinking three batches away what this yeast is going to go into um i feel like it's a it's a little less prevalent that uh, that people are thinking about those kind of things than uh, than it was in the past Let's talk about ordering yeast for Belgian beers. I've watched a lot of brewers, self-included, make mistakes here. What are some things that brewers should keep in mind when planning Belgian yeast fermentations? In my experience, I think I I fall into the same group, John, of uh, learning about Belgian beers, unfortunately, through less successful fermentations and and not really knowing exactly what to expect. You know, I think it's... um, you know, one, there's a, the added element in certain styles and particularly Belgian, since they're often yeast-driven flavors for certain styles. Uh, there's certain instances where you might want to uh, adjust the pitch rate and pitch a little less than normal. Uh, there's also a number of Belgian styles where people are adding candied uh, sugar, syrups, things like that. And the timing, uh, appropriately addressing when to add those simple sugars to prevent any yeast stall is uh, very important. We, we do a lot of talks about that, just trying to help people out. In general, and this is obviously in general speaking, this is not the case for all Belgian strains, but in general, Belgian strains um, are a little bit of a, yeah, I don't know how to, how to say this, uh, uh, like a little bit more, less domesticated. So what you'll find is that uh, the, the carbohydrate metabolism is a little tight. The regulation is a little tighter. So you'll you'll uh, you'll get uh, the the famous uh, you know uh, uh, shoulders in your fermentation or the stalling uh, when uh, when the strain uh, uh, runs out of specific sugars and it needs to switch to uh, more complicated carbohydrates. And uh, these strains also have the tendency to not like it. Uh, to be controlled by the brewer temperature-wise. So if you're fermenting um, a a specific beer and you're halfway through, uh, keep your hands off the temperature control and let let the yeast do its job. And if you start uh, cooling the strain, uh, a lot of the famous Belgian strains that a lot of people use will just stop fermenting, and they, it's it's almost impossible to get them going again. And this is something that for for uh, for brewers is sometimes uh, you know hard to understand. And uh, yeah, so you need to really plan well where you're starting, 
and uh, where, what temperature you're starting, uh, how many cells you put in, the oxygen levels. Uh, and this could be different for, for several strains. So you really need to know what you're doing. And uh, the, the, the one beer that most people uh, call us about uh, uh, and have issues about is the Belgian-style triple. It's, uh, it's a beer that contains a lot of simple sugars. So like Travis already said, uh, when to add those, those can have a, a, a big effect on, the, on your attenuation. But also, uh, a lot of breweries do not have the proper equipment a capacity to do a step mash and step mashing is very common to to reach that uh, specific uh, attenuation levels that are quite high to get this nice dry high abv beer and if that's difficult for you then uh, yeah then you have to kind of uh, keep that in mind and don't expect uh, if you don't do do the proper steps before and you pitch the yeast that you're going to get a beer that with the expect that with the dryness you uh, desire, so to speak. So, setting the right expectations is also very important. All right, let's let's t- let's continue talking about sort of troubleshooting problematic fermentations. What do you typically advise brewers to do when they're dealing with a stuck fermentation? When someone calls with an issue like that, we have to go back to if we. If we miss the conversation at the at time of uh, someone ordering yeast, all the questions that we should have discussed and talked about then, you kind of have to go backwards and, and backtrack and hear the story of uh, the recipe, what you did. And at, at that point, at least for us, it's, um, it, it's trying to do a little consulting work without being on site, which is pretty challenging. And uh, there's no per- perfect method for that. Uh, but we're asking about... Um, you know, we're asking, like Jesper said, about oxygenation. We're asking about yeast storage, yeast health. Where was it? Um, how did you pitch? You know, what what type of lag time did you experience? You know, what, what timeline? How far into the brew are we or, or the fermentation process? So we're, we're starting with those questions. And depending on the yeast, depending on what it is, you know, we, we would recommend a, a number of things if it's Really, really early into uh, you know a batch of beer, there might be an opportunity to reaerate, um, or there might be a discussion about uh, harvesting yeast. They might need to reprop a portion of that yeast and resuspend it. Sometimes it's just a matter of uh, resuspending the yeast in that beer. Uh, it might be as easy as let's turn the glycol off, or you know something like that. Especially with those Belgian strains. So, I mean, it, I feel. The sooner that you can address an issue, the easier it is to, to fix it. And outside of a beer that's truly contaminated, I am behind the belief that you can fix almost every beer or make it hopefully very close to your expectations as long as you have clean practices and you, can, uh, you have accurate information that you outline with notes. That, that helps. You know, things like pH, uh, that's all very important. So... There's uh, many, many ways to, to fix something or at least to address it and figure out what went wrong so that you can correct it for future batches as well. Yeah, and if I, if I might jump into that uh, as well, it's, uh, the first thing people often think is, uh, hey, fermentation is uh, you know, prematurely uh, ending. Uh, it must be the yeast. And uh, this is not always the case. You know, it could well be that, uh, you know, there's something wrong, uh, for example, uh, with your crane or that you, the, 
you know, if a temperature probe is off, you, you're mashing in way too cold or too warm. There's uh, there there could well be those kind of uh, uh, things happening. So we also advise people to do a forced fermentation, which is uh, really easy to do, just to make sure that the wort you're actually having in hand is actually fermentable all the way to what you want. Uh, when I was working at a production brewery, and we ran into an issue that our uh, uh, our ales uh, uh, were finishing uh, a little, like I would say a degree plate or higher than we wanted, and everybody pointed fingers at the yeast, and we, we looked what happened, and we got a new silofill when it started, and we looked at the numbers that were given uh, to us by the malt company, and uh, they obviously were, I mean, they couldn't be right. And then what, what we did is we added, a, we, we were lucky that we had the equipment to do a, a step mash. And we, did, and we added a 162 rest for five minutes and the problem, problem went away. So this is also something that might be a, you know, a reason. So people should think uh, further than just the yeast. Yeah, just don't, don't blame the yeast every time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some of the times. All right, you gotta yeah. you gotta blame the monster every now and then too. They 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 get lonely if you don't do that. Coming up, uh, optimal situations like laboratory situations are not uh, what's happening in a brewery. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... Bring the world to your brew house with BSG's diverse selection of ingredients and services. Our dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Make BSG your supplier of choice with products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. Visit us at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Western New York meets at Resurgence Brewing Company in Buffalo December 10th. District St. Louis meets January 16th. District Pittsburgh meets in Emsworth January 18th. District New England meets in Merrimack January 24th and 5th. The Ontario Technical Conference is January 29th through the 31st in Kingston. District St. Louis meets February 20th. District Northern California holds its technical conference February 27th and 28th in Sonoma County. One of our newest districts, District Great Plains, meets February 28th and 29th in Kansas City. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you.
now back to the show. All right. Well, you mentioned some of the things that you get the most calls about, uh, especially with the strong Belgian beers. Any other common problems you hear uh, you get called a lot about from brewers? I would say, uh, and this is maybe something you can take better than me, uh, Travis, uh, because of your professional experience too, but it's uh, lager brewing. You know, it's kind of a, you know, an art that is, uh, it's, uh, it's more complicated than people think. Yeah, you know, I, um, as far as trends and things that I've noticed, I think Jasper has as well, I, I've noticed a number of craft breweries and former ale breweries getting into the lager game, which uh, we fully support. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I, I love multi loggers. I like hoppier loggers. I, I think it's great. But there is certainly a, a information gap on at least how to start that process. And um, you know, certain strains are obviously need to be over pitched uh, compared to what you're doing with ales. Most of them, um, you know, there's lots of hey, this is this is incredibly slow. The, uh, as technical as the bubbles aren't nearly as fast as when I'm brewing an <laughs> ale. So we have to explain that, you know, um, and and talk about the numbers, things like that. Uh, there's, you know, aeration. You know, obviously at cooler temperatures, you're getting more dissolved oxygen as you're casting out. Um, there is too cold uh, for lager yeast in order to get yeast to actually start. It still needs to be in suspension. You still need yeast to be touching those sugars for it to ferment and consume those sugars. So we spend a lot of time talking about getting lager fermentation started. But we talk a lot about um, you know aeration, uh, aeration techniques, and as far as saving on a purchase of yeast, we have recommended you know you're casting out at uh, you know, let's say 2 p.m., uh, 10 p.m., there's instances where you need to re-aerate and you can, you know, grow more yeast and you can have a much more successful lager fermentation. How, how to get that oxygen dissolved into that beer, you know, sometimes just blowing it through is not going to get the absorption uh, versus other techniques, whether it's putting a little head pressure on the tank uh, to keep more of that oxygen in suspension, or maybe there's an opportunity to recirculate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think answering some of those questions and sharing how lager fermentation is different from ale, at least at the first 48 hours until you have a, a strong, you know, high crowds and uh, fermentation going is very different. And it, it takes some getting used to, you know, you have to get used to that slow, consistent um, bubbling in, in your uh, blow off bucket. I've never liked the term pitchable, which unfortunately seems to have become mainstream brewer vocabulary, because generally I want to know how many cells a supplier is actually sending me. Your website has a page that gives pitch rate ranges for different types of yeast at various temperatures and then translates that into a pitchable quantity. How about walking us through a few examples? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, when we look at this at the pitching rates, it's uh, we kind of try to speak the language that the brewer speaks, and we get a you know you you can the, the questions we get uh, when we talk to people we can kind of hear uh, uh, whom they've been buying from, and people talk about liters of slurry, and then those kind of uh, you know terms. Uh, it's like we like to talk about number of cells, like you do, 
and uh, obviously about uh, you know we want to know the the amount of sugar that's going to be in their wort, the degrees of Plato, and we use as a starting point basically uh, a lighter ale using like an an English or an American ale kind of uh, be, kind of beer, uh, say uh, until fourteen Plato, and then uh, we we kind of say aim for about seven point five million cells per mil. Now, if you are going to higher gravity, you need more cells. So we have like a you know a specific formula that we use, and then you end up at a higher cell count. Say between fourteen and nineteen degree Plato, we would advise to use say uh, twelve million cells per mil. So it's about one point six times the amount of cells needed. Uh, if you go above 20, then we advise to use at least 18 million cells per mil. And obviously, these are, um, there's no, you know, uh, one thing fits all, but it's kind of how we how we approach it, because uh, we, we cannot, uh, uh, you know, put pitch rates for every single strain on there. Uh, but I mean, if you use this kind of method, then you can kind of get where you go. And then it's also, uh, on our website, we also talk about lagers. Lagers, you need a, you need a higher cell count. Uh, it's using 1.3 million cells per degree Plato for lagers. And then if you start it even colder, then we would advise to use more again. And <clears throat> this is also for people to understand that if, if they use a Gen 1 pitch, and they say, and we've talked to brewers that said, we want to start our lager, at 46 degree Fahrenheit, and we want that to be ripping the next day, and it's going to be 18 degree Plato starting gravity. Uh, that is, it's going to be kind of a, a shell shock for them to hear how many cells they need, and uh, they they don't expect that they have to spend that much money. But you need a ton of cells if you want to do that. So that's why we also, like Travis already mentioned, want to help them. Uh, you know, approach this differently. And this is especially the case for very flocculent lager strains. So this is kind of uh, how we approach it. Uh, when you're talking about Belgians, uh, basically the rule book goes out of the door. Uh, then uh, there's a, uh, a lot of different, uh, you know, different things to think about. Uh, oxygen levels can be a lot lower. Often pitch rates are a lot lower. One thing I, I want to add that um, kind of falls through the crack when it comes to you know, working with yeast, whether it's Gen 1 or later generations, is very few breweries have a way of measuring how much dissolved oxygen they're getting into their beer. So, and many breweries have different varying amounts of time that it takes for them to cast out. And there's also, you know, different lengths of the hose from the kettle to your fermenter. So, you know, there is certainly an instance where a brewery could pitch less yeast than another for a lager pitch and still have a successful fermentation. And, and I'm, a certain part of that is because of different methods for actually getting that oxygen uh, in suspension. You know, a lot of people through trial and error experience uh, if say they're brewing 30 barrels of beer and they brew, it's a 15 barrel kettle. So they brew 15 barrels, um, you know, double brew in one day. They have a much longer lag time than if they use that same pitch and brewed 15 barrels one day and then 15 barrels this the next day, you know, in part they're getting a lot of good growth, and they're giving another opportunity to um, aerate that work. There's also the hydrostatic pressure of that first batch that's already been growing yeast that you're now likely getting a lot more dissolved oxygen just based on the the weight of the first batch on top of that second batch is keeping a lot more of that oxygen in suspension. So that's yeah. another thing that I think 
people don't consider. Yeah, I mean, like one thing is, uh, as, as you can hear out of the answer from both Travis and me, is that uh, you know we obviously are the microbiologists here, but we're also thinking as brewers. Uh, we've been with our, you know, we've been in the trenches, and we know that uh, you know uh, optimal situations, like laboratory situations, are not uh, what's happening in a brewery. You know, it's not optimal. And sometimes the things are because they are like they are, because that's the equipment you have at hand. And uh, we want to work with everybody, uh, uh, all of us, all of the people that call us uh, and ask for information, help and, and yeast, help them uh, get the best results with the equipment and, uh, and knowledge and people they have. That's kind of, you know, uh, where we come from. Busy breweries that have a steady stream of wort can propagate smaller quantities of yeast. We've got another episode in the pipeline with Doug Hyman, who describes his self-proclaimed $700 hillbilly yeast propagator. I'm sure you give out a lot of advice on propagation plans. Every situation is unique, of course, but do you have any big picture do's or don'ts for brewers who want to propagate? Um, well, obviously... Uh uh people can pe- people can everybody can can do it but it's not as easy as it sounds because uh what we do we have a lot of checks and balances in place uh the quality control that you need uh during propagation i would say is it needs to be much higher than quality control uh uh during fermentation not because uh i mean obviously uh, you know you want to have like, a good lab and test everything as well but uh if you have like one cell in your propagation that comes in, uh, it's it's it might be lurking in the background, but you'll you'll see it in your fermentations. It's uh, so uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, just to just you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a it's a big responsibility that you're taking up on your shoulders. Uh, that uh, you know that 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 we as a yeast lab and but also all the other labs uh, are taken upon themselves. You know they do a lot of quality control like we do, and I'm sure that uh, people who uh, built a hillbilly rig prop- propagator are not doing the same thing that we do. So you know obviously you're rolling the dice a little bit. Uh, that being said, uh, I'm not saying that it's not impossible, but uh, yeah, you have to keep that in mind. You know, everybody says that whether you're working in a lab or a brewery, um, if, if you're going to propagate, you need a, a microscope just to see, you know, what you're actually growing, you know, uh, find out if what you think you're stepping up is growing to the appropriate cell count for what you're expecting to pitch. Had you been pitching cone to cone or if you had purchased a, a pitchable quantity, as you, uh, as you like to say, uh, for that batch of beer, you know, um, and whether or not that's going to assist the, the flavor of that beer. You know, if, if you're going to be growing up a, a Belgian strain or, or something like that where it's yeast forward, you know, there is a scenario where you could possibly overpitch and mute the flavors that was the sole purpose of brewing a Belgian style. So not to say that you couldn't dial that in with proper cell counting and saying, hey, you know what, we actually, we, we only need to prop it up with one barrel instead of two and we want to brew it within 24 hours after stepping that up or maybe we want to uh, get let it go for a couple days or maybe we want to um aerate uh, re-aerate that propagation tank I mean, there's a there's a, a a host of things to consider and someone should treat it 
Um, as a as a way to enhance the quality of the beer, not as a way to save money. I think a side effect of propping would be saving money, but it should be a way to make your beer even better. Should be the the main focus if you're going to go down that road. Let's talk about lead times. I'm sure the modern day Amazon Prime culture isn't doing you guys any favors. How much time <laughs> do you how much time do you really need from order to ship date, and is that period of time different for different strains? Uh, <clears throat> I would say. Uh, Two weeks is what we need. Uh, if this is a strain that's, uh, and this is for a strain that is, we have to start from scratch, which uh, we uh, we grow a lot of yeast from scratch. Uh, but uh, some of them we have basically in continuous production, so uh, then the lead time might be a little less. But uh, we want the yeast that we send out to be super healthy, ready to go, as fresh as possible. So that's why we uh, took the, that take are taking that approach. Um, so it just needs some time, uh, you know, going from uh, from colony all the way to uh, a 50 barrel pitchable. There's some time in there, and there is the, the quality control that we need to do as well. And uh, you know, we uh, we uh, we have PCR, we have uh, plating, uh, we have all kinds of other tests, and those just take time. So before we are 100% sure that it uh, it passes those quality control checks, uh, we we rather not send it out. So that's why we have that uh, two-week lead time, basically. All right, sounds good. Let's say I order yeast from you. It shows up. It goes into the standard brewery cold room that's probably in the mid to upper 30s, and I have a delay in my brewery, so I can't, can't brew the next day as I planned. How long do I have before it starts to deteriorate to the point that I need to either adjust my process or just not use it? Our viability should be well within acceptable range for upwards of two weeks. But I, I would say if you're going to hold on to yeast more than four or five days, plan on feeding it with either work from a, a fresh batch or making a little starter to feed that. You know, you're not doing yourself any favors by just letting it sit around. You know, it doesn't increase in value <laughs> by holding on to it. Um, so yeah, I, I, it should be a concern, and and that's a, a good question because I, I think there's a lot of people that that do a, a great job of setting out a, a long calendar and they plan a bunch of things out, and so they they might order yeast a month or six weeks in advance, and we have it on the calendar, and it and it ships out, and then things change. So if that's the case, um, you know, we can advise on how to feed that yeast. But yeah, absolutely, I, I would say within five days you should seriously think about feeding it in some way. Uh, to maintain the high viability. That was Jasper Ackerboom and Travis Tedro here on the Master Brewers podcast. Jasper currently serves as president of District Mid-Atlantic, where he's uploaded his fair share of district presentations. And on that note, don't forget to ask your district officers if you can help them get those district presentations uploaded to the archive. And drop me a line if you think there's a presenter we should have on the show. All the links you need are in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, and BSG. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.